Good afternoon. My name is Lynn, and I will be your conference operator today. Welcome to Cozen O'Connor Public Strategy Series about the 2016 presidential race. The election is only 19 days away. Our call today will be moderated by Blake Rutherford, a member of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies. Our speakers are Howard Schweitzer, Managing Partner, and Mark Alderman, Chairman of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies. All phone lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. If you have questions during the call, submit them via email to presidentialanalysis at cozen.com. This recording will also be available on iTunes as a new episode of our podcast, Road to the Oval Office. Blake Rutherford, you may begin your conference. Thank you very much, and thanks again to everyone who uh, is dialed in for another edition of our uh, discussion of the 2016 presidential race. My name is Blake Rutherford, and I am... As always, joined by Mark Alderman, the CEO of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies, and Howard Schweitzer, the managing partner of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies. Mark, Howard, great to be with you guys. Thanks, Blake. Morning, Blake. We are um, three debates behind us, and last night's debate um, in Las Vegas, uh, which had um, really all the makings for an interesting political opportunity for Donald Trump. Um, he, his back was against the wall. His poll numbers were going in the wrong direction. And he was facing a sort of one-time national television audience uh, where he could, uh, dare I say it, throw a Hail Mary and try and get back in this race. Uh, Mark, I want to begin with you. Uh, the third debate, uh, there were some fireworks, there were some interesting moments, but what's your reaction to that, and what what relevance does it have as we look to the final 20 days of this race? Well, Donald Trump went into the debate behind. He came out of the debate behind. I don't know that he moved a single vote in his direction. I think if any votes moved last night, they more likely moved in Secretary Clinton's direction. It was a Hail Mary. He got the ball somewhere near the end zone, I guess, but it was nowhere near being caught by his team. And he didn't score a single point, let alone the points he needed. If if you look at the three debates, just to put it in a brief context, if I may, these debates actually mattered. She went into the first debate a point or two maybe ahead. A week later, she was three, maybe four points ahead. She went into the second debate at that three, maybe four point ahead level. She came out of it a week later, six, seven points ahead. And I, I will not be surprised if she picks up another point or two after last night. She has won all three debates, and she's been rewarded in the polls. Howard, what, what's your reaction to, to, to last night's debate? I mean, any opportunity um, or any advantage, I should say, to Trump's performance uh, on his poll numbers last night? Blake, my view of last night is that it's the latest episode in a series called Worse and Worser. I mean, it was awful. It was awful for both of them. They looked like children arguing up there. Trump, I think, uh, 
solidified in my mind that this guy was never serious about wanting to be president of the United States. I truly believe that. And I think his general election campaign reflects it. There were so many opportunities last night that you, that any of the three of us could have taken to skewer her, and, and he just walked away. At one point, he accused her correctly of pivoting off of, of an issue and then completely took the bait she laid for him in pivoting off the issue. The whole thing is a joke. It's time for it to end. I don't think it makes that much difference, and people are ready for it to be over. You know, worse than worse, you know, worse than Howard is is a good line. I give you points for for that being clever, but I don't think it's fair. I don't think there is any equivalence in demeanor and presentation between the two of them. If you do the turn the sound off test and just watch that debate, which I did at a couple of points, frankly, because I could not stand to hear what was being said. There is no comparison between the two of them. She looked like a woman who is prepared to be the president of the United States. He looked like the losing contestant on one of his stupid game shows. Yeah, she's a well practiced go ahead, Blake. Yeah, no, let me let me let me follow up though on, on, on the point of 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 whether whether any of this matters. We're 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 beginning to see um, numbers come in that more people watch the third debate than watch the second debate, but still fewer than the first debate. Um, and you know, some of these polls, and I want to talk about that in just a minute, um, are are certainly trending her way, but they're still relatively close. And so, you know, Howard, I want to I want to come back to to, to important moments because you raised you raised, you raised an opportunity that Trump missed. Did he capitalize on anything last night? I don't think so. I, I, by the way, I thought Chris Wallace was awesome in holding both of their feet to the fire and, and the audience. I thought he did a great job, but I don't think Trump took advantage in any of the debates, and certainly not last night, to raise issues that are absolutely um, appropriate material about her fitness to be president. Look, you, you guys know I have never for one day – not one single day have I been on the Trump train, but like most people, um, I'm not particularly excited about her either. Neither of these people are um, God's gift to the presidency, quite frankly, and there are so many issues to go after her on, and he just didn't do it. I don't get it. And the only conclusion that leads me to draw is that he's not serious. Well, I, I think it was worse than yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead, Mark. I I think it was worse than he didn't do it. I think he actually sealed the deal with undecideds breaking her way. The headlines from the debate have mostly been about him refusing to accept the result of the election. I have some very strong feelings about that and his absolute contempt for the Constitution. But set all that aside, just as an electoral matter, he needed to move people to his column last night. 
And I, for the life of me, do not understand the strategy of telling people this thing's rigged, the bad guys already won, but you should nonetheless make a real effort to come out and vote for a guy who's already lost. I, I think heard him. He doesn't want the job. Well, he never wanted the job. <laughs> Yeah, let's let's look at the map because I, I think that Mark, we are we are looking towards a, what is potentially an electoral landslide, um, and and I want to talk about that. I mean, Hillary is now she is up in Pennsylvania consistently. She is up in North Carolina. She is up in New Hampshire by a lot. She is now up in Arizona by an outside the margin matter. Um, she's up in Wisconsin by a lot. She's up in Colorado by a lot. And a new poll has her up in Florida by four. Um, I mean, it just really doesn't doesn't seem like there is not only is there no viable path for Donald Trump to win this race. We're looking at uh, an electoral victory beyond what even President Obama experienced. If these numbers hold to be true. I think we are in the part of the program, Blake, where the Clinton campaign should be buying umbrellas and worrying about the weather on Election Day. The persuasion part of this campaign is over. She has persuaded plenty of Americans that, given this choice, she should be the next president. What she now needs to do is execute and the better she executes, the bigger her win will be. It's possible for it to be closer than the polls are suggesting. Nobody believes in the infallibility of any of this polling. But it isn't going to be because people changed their mind or people were gaming the polls or there's a hidden Trump vote. It's all about execution now. It's all about moving your voters into the voting booth on Election Day. And the weather's going to play as big a role in that as anything that the Trump campaign does. I, I have a couple Howard, of thoughts on anything? that. Yeah, absolutely. One, I want to you in. Yeah, what, what are your reactions to all that? One is, first of all, it's not about executing just on Election Day. 40%, 40% of the votes cast in this election are going to, going to be cast before Election Day through early voting. So it's already begun. It's happening as we, literally as we do this call. And um, it, that only helps her because she's, she's clearly Go in ahead. the lead. She's, she's, going to, she's going to win this election. Um, at this point, all the magic is, is the down-ballot races. It's all about the Senate. The R's are keeping the House. The Senate is totally up for grabs. And what she has to decide is not how big of a mandate she wants, because I don't care how many votes she gets. She's not going to have a, a quote-unquote mandate. There aren't going to be um, people that stop disliking Hillary Clinton and that suddenly feel like because she's won the election, she has a mandate and, and we should all um, bow down. I mean, that's not, it's not, people are still going to hold her in serious contempt. Um, she has to decide whether she wants to play, continue to play this prevent defense she's been playing, or whether she wants to try to move money and resources into states where there are toss-up Senate races to try to take the Senate. Because that, and only that, 
has the potential to give her more power when she assumes the presidency. Yeah, I, I think in so, an interesting way, Blake, that the magnitude of her victory is more relevant to the Republican Party and its future than it is to her mandate, as Howard is saying. Uh, it will be a catastrophe for the Republican establishment, Speaker Ryan, Leader McConnell, Governor Kasich, Senator, soon to be reelected, Senator Rubio, if this thing is close, because they will be blamed for it having been lost. They need it to be bigger than she does, because I agree with Howard, there there isn't going to be a mandate here. And and. X of some real fun, quirky, interesting states like Utah, which could, for the first time in 12 elections, not go Republican and could even give a guy, Evan McMillan, whom no one has ever heard of, four electoral votes. X of quirky stuff like that. Howard's right, I think, about the down-ballot races. I'm just not sure he's right that it's as close as he thinks. So Howard, I want to get I want to I want to segue to the Senate because uh, to Mark's point, the the ramifications of the presidential race will certainly have uh, have an effect on down ballot races. Um, without I want to sort of throw it open to you from a general question general uh, general question, which is you know what what's your what's your sort of perspective on the Senate? What are you paying close attention to right now? Well, you've got seven or eight toss-ups, depending upon how you count, and a very weak field of Democratic candidates, uh, generally speaking. Um, And they should be polling much more highly than they are against the the R's, and and they're not. They are going to outrun Trump by a lot, everywhere. In Pennsylvania, the firm's home state, Toomey, he may lose, but he's keeping it close, and he's going to outrun Trump significantly, in part because, in my opinion, Katie McGinney is a weak Democratic candidate. She's not a great candidate. And I think that's played itself out other places, and I think in some cases you've got particularly strong Republican candidates. For example, Rob Portman in Ohio, who's I think by all accounts that's become a safe seat, but it was supposed to be a toss-up against a former Democratic governor, but he's run a very strong campaign, and he's way out polling Trump, and he's going to win. So I, I, I think it's close. I disagree with a lot of what you just said. I do not agree that there are weak candidates in these toss-up states. I do not think that Jason Kander in Missouri, a state that no one gave the Democrats any chance of winning at the Senate level, is a weak candidate. I think he has a real shot at beating Senator Blunt. I think Russ Feingold in Wisconsin is going to defeat Senator Johnson. Tammy Duckworth in Illinois is going to defeat Senator Kirk. Evan Bayh is going to win. Yes, it's closer than it was when it began. He's going to win with a comfortable margin. He's He's, running a terrible race. He's going to win by a 
comfortable margin and the Clinton campaign is doing what you said a minute ago, which is putting money into that. I think Pennsylvania and New Hampshire are real interesting because you have strong incumbents there. I mean, part of what makes Jason Kander and Tammy Duckworth and Russ Feingold strong candidates is their competition. But you have in Pat Toomey and in Kelly Ayotte two very credible, very reputable, very strong incumbents. And it isn't so much that Katie McGinty and Maggie Hassan, who was a popular governor in New Hampshire, are bad candidates. They're they're up against some real competition. And we're going to see how how many people are willing to split their ticket because Hillary's going to win New Hampshire. She's going to win Pennsylvania. She's going to win Pennsylvania, I believe, by five, six, seven points. I think she's going to win New Hampshire by maybe a point or two less than that. But what you need in order for Ayat and and Toomey to win is for almost everybody in that bulge, almost everybody who made it 53-47 for Clinton by voting Democratic when they're an independent or a Republican, they have to all come back to Toomey. Mark, and, but and maybe they do, but but that's a tall order. There's, there's one immediate flaw in your logic, which is it's not going to be 53 to 47. In a state like New Hampshire, whether right right or wrong, Gary Johnson's going to get some percentage of the vote, well in excess of the five percent that I think he's polling at. Right. And it's those voters, it's those independent but, voters. But, that are voting or or Republican voters that are pulling the lever for him that have the potential. And Larry Sabato from the University of Virginia had a note out on this this morning. It's those voters that may, in the end, put the R's over the edge. I mean, I agree. Look, the smart money money is on the Democrats to take the Senate because they're going to have a one-vote advantage because they're going to have the White House. And it could easily be 50-50. But this thing is, is razor. It, it, it is very, very close. And I, it's very hard to tell on a race-by-race basis what's going to happen. Well, I well, think I, I, it, it may be 50-50. And if it is, of course, then Senator Kane, soon to be Vice President Kane, has a real job. He has to go back and preside over the Senate and break every tie, which... Uh, which will happen with most votes, but it it, it, it could be fifty one forty nine dependent on Nevada. We haven't talked about Nevada, yes. but I I think she's got a shot at beating Heck, and then then we pick up five. But either way, when when I say I don't think it's as close as you do, what I mean is. I don't think it's that close that the Democrats get control. I think the Democrats are a heavy favorite to take back the Senate. But when they take back the Senate, it's going to be either by one or zero votes. So right. whatever happens, the United States Senate is going to be a a coin toss. Mark and yeah, Howard. and it matters for the chairmanships. Yeah, um, yeah, mostly. It matters in terms of what the agenda is. For two years, by the way, 
until the Republicans take back control of, of the chamber in, in 2018 if, if they lose it this time. But um, it matters for the chairmanships and it matters for the, the handful of votes that are 50-50. That are and, and that matters a lot. Frankly, it matters for Hillary Clinton more than anything, not on a legislative basis, but because if the Republicans control the chamber, she's going to have twice as many investigations to contend with for two years as she is if the Democrats control the chamber. Well, and it matters a lot for staffing up her administration. Just on a, on a logistical and administrative level, it makes a huge difference whether it's 5150D or 5149R because she's got to get people confirmed. For sure. Yeah, Definitely. Mark and, Definitely. Yeah, Mark and Howard, I, I, um, I wanted to get your reaction. If the Democrats do take control of the Senate, what, what ramifications does that have on the lame duck? Um, what, what types of things would you expect to see the Republicans try to deal with before, they are, before they're pushed out of power? Howard, I'll start with you. Maybe confirm Merrick Garland. For one, I, I mean, why would you not? You're going to get potentially somebody more tilted toward the progressive side of the aisle if, if you don't. So, so I'd, I'd push that ahead if I were the, if I were Mitch McConnell. Um, uh, you, you know, I don't think it. I think they still do their deals, but there are things that that may get punted like the tax ex- extenders or other things that um, that don't get done. I, but I, I, I don't know. I don't see a huge, I don't see huge implications. Mark, what are your thoughts? Anything, anything interesting to come out of the lame duck if the Republicans lose control of the Senate? Well, for the first time, maybe in this call, I'm going to agree with Howard. Um, maybe Judge Garland gets in. Maybe not. McConnell's already said no, but he may rethink that, uh, depending on what actually happens here. That's really the only big thing that might happen. But I do agree that in the omnibus or cromnibus or whatever this thing is called, that keeps Minivan. the the, the the thing that keeps the government running then punts it down the road until the next Congress. There are all kinds of things in there, extensions of all kinds of programs and tax breaks and the rest. And I think that's where the action's going to be. I think the Republicans are going to try to get some of that stuff extended and maybe saved into the next Congress. But that that's way down in the weeds. The, nothing dramatic other than, than Judge Garland, I don't think. But there is perhaps some drama on what the lasting effect of, uh, of this election will have on the Republican Party brand. And, and I note that from a couple of perspectives. One, your, your observations that, that this race is, is is over Hillary Clinton's going to win it could be it could be a large win and that could have symbolic implications um, even if it doesn't it even if it doesn't usher in um, a mandate but I do want to talk about you know now that we're three debates behind us now that we are nearing the the merciful end of this race um, you know Howard what is the lasting effect of, of this election on the GOP brand, I mean, we're already beginning to see that Trump supporters 
want to target Paul Ryan um, and push him out of office two years from now. And that's just one example of where there seems to be a deep rift within the GOP. And, and um, to me, that seems like that's a big and long-term problem, but I'm going to get your reaction to that. Yeah, I mean, I think it is and it isn't. You know, the Republican Party at um, lower levels is very strong. I mean, look at look at Pennsylvania. And um, even look at my state, uh, Maryland, much, much stronger on a local level than than the Democratic Party, I would I would argue, and and maybe even a deeper bench, and so I don't think that the party itself is fundamentally in jeopardy over the long term, but there is going to be this this struggle. But I I I don't even think of it as an R versus D thing. I think of it as a kind of postpartisan thing. It's it's populism. It ran through the electorate on both sides of the aisle this this election season. Bernie Sanders was a huge phenomenon. I know a lot of people who voted for him um, because they liked the kind of populist rhetoric he was he was um, putting out there. And uh, yeah, Trump has been divisive, but not Bernie Sanders isn't a Democrat, and Trump isn't a Republican. And when I think historians look back on this cycle after they and movie makers after they uh dissect what happened with with trump kind of on a personality level they're going to look at this strain running the strain of populism running through the electorate and and i think that itself is a temporary phenomenon and eventually we get back to some sense of normalcy mark what are your thoughts about about the Trump effect on the GOP brand going forward? Well, I think you got to put it in context and on the continuum. Uh, Trump as a personality is an aberration. He is an aberrant human being. And as a nominee, he's an aberration in terms of his his presentation and and his personality. But this all began at at the latest, maybe earlier, but it all began with Sarah Palin in 2008. It continued with the Tea Party in 2010. 2012, the president staged a comeback. And then in 2014, there was another populist wipeout uh, in the midterm. So I... I think that this has been a swinging of the pendulum in the Republican Party to the far right for some time now. The question is, has it hit a wall with Trump and this loss that's expected and the pendulum's going to swing back? Or or is it going to get stuck out there for a little while? My hope, my hope and, and prediction is the pendulum starts swinging back. It, it's never coming all the way back to Nelson Rockefeller and New England Republicanism. But but I think that Trump is likely to take his ball and go home. I think he is likely to, to remain an outsider. He will, for one thing, be a loser, 
which is the one thing that he can't possibly abide by being. But I think that that's going to take a lot of air out of his balloon because a lot of lot of the energy behind him now is people who actually thought he might be president. I think he stays outside. I think he does whatever he does with Trump TV or selling Trump stakes to his remaining 20, 25 million followers. And then I think the pendulum swings back and the Republican Party puts Humpty Dumpty back together again. And I do think, as Howard said, uh, again, semi-agreeing on that, uh, the Democratic Party has moved to the left. We've, we are going to elect a centrist president, but the party that elected her has moved the other way. The pendulum in our party is swinging the other direction. So I'm not sure that the gap gets closed. That's my point. I think the Republicans come in from the cold a little bit, but I think the Democrats move farther out towards Bernie, and I'm not sure that the gap between the two gets closed. Yeah, I mean, just just on that, Blake, um, the Bernie, I would say Bernie and Liz, because um, yeah, there's no question in my mind having been around this town for a while now and in a few administrations that Hillary Clinton has cut deals, obviously. She has cut deals to get their support. And one of those deals is probably a three-way deal that has Bernie Sanders chairing the help committee in the Senate. And the other deal is, and we've seen some of this through the WikiLeaks disclosures, is Elizabeth Warren staying in the Senate but weighing in on on personnel appointments, her whole personnel as policy yeah, I mean, school I mean, of thought. I think, yeah, I mean I mean to to that end, I mean if you if you have you know a Clinton administration that as we know is is looking at looking at infrastructure, um it's it's going to be continue to be faced with the challenge of dealing with ISIS. But you did have some some you know, very clear and serious left wing issues that dominated the debate. Howard, what's your perspective on 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 the intersection between a a, a Speaker Ryan controlled Congress and a Hillary Clinton administration that is going to continue to feel pressure from the left? Yeah, I mean, Ryan's going to have a very difficult time governing his caucus because it's by definition going to be more extreme, as Mark was saying. So that's that's a challenge. On a personality level, as I think I said on our last call, Chuck Schumer, Hillary Clinton, and Paul Ryan can do business. Those are three people that can do business with one another. I think they're gonna, it's going to look like Washington is open for business. It's still going to be hard to get things done. I think they'll get some things done in the early stages that give kind of everybody the ability to say they got something done. Um, but it, it's going to be it's going to be hard, and and after the first six months, everybody's going to be in midterm mode. I mean, I hate to say it because it's cynical and depressing, but but we're going to be back to experiencing some gridlock, and and it's going to be Mark what you were saying about the progressives in the Senate and the um, Freedom Caucus in the House and Hillary trying to cut deals where she can. I do think, Blake, that she will 
be more hawkish, certainly, than President Obama on foreign policy and defense. And what she is going to do is try to use that hawkishness and and uh, more of a centrist position on those issues to try to cover her more progressive policy making on things like employment policies, labor policies, uh, banking, things where she's got to placate the Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren wing of the Senate. Mark, what, what, what are your thoughts about, about managing um, a progressive caucus? Because we've seen, we've certainly seen, you know, Republicans struggle with managing their the conservative elements of of their of their caucus. Do you sense that that in light of you know two interesting points that you know Howard talked about Elizabeth Warren you know weighing in on on personnel and and certainly being a force on the campaign trail. Same with Senator Sanders. Do you, do you sense that that this group is is going to play nice in that first hundred days? Well, I was talking yesterday, Blake, to. Uh friend of mine down in Washington who spent a lot of his career in the Senate, uh, chief of staff to a majority leader, chief of staff to a senator who went on to become president, uh, was at one time known as the 101st senator, who knows the Senate certainly better than anybody I know. And he was saying that with that 2018 election coming up next, and the map being as unfavorable as it is for the Democrats, that Majority Leader Schumer is going to have his hands full with not so much the progressive caucus in his uh, in his Democratic caucus, as with people who who are going to need to get themselves reelected in two years, and who watched what happened with. Sanders and who are hearing from their constituents and who are going to be hard pressed to move very far towards Ryan and and the House Republicans on things like, for example, student loans. That that was his example of something where she is going to try very hard to get something done. The Republicans are, they just have a whole different idea about what should be done. And they're going to have to move towards the D's because she has no chance of moving the the Democratic caucus in the Senate towards Paul Ryan's view of that. So it's going to require some governing. But I but I want to say say this. Hillary Clinton has been a hugely flawed candidate. Uh, Most of the people in the country don't want either of these people to be the president. All the usual stipulations. I think if anybody can do that, she can. I think she is going to be a much, much better president, at least for two years, than she has been as a candidate. And I think she has a shot at getting the progressives in the Senate, what they need, getting Ryan enough that he can get the votes with the Democrats in the House. And and I expect to see some things done. I am I am more optimistic on seeing some things done than the tenor and tone of this campaign would would give you any reason to believe. How, what are your thoughts to that? You you sense you 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 said before that, that 
Clinton, Ryan Schumer can can get things done, um, but there's a there's a very very narrow window to get things done. How do you how do you prioritize, and, and then how do you also play your politics right? Well, I think both sides of the aisle want infrastructure and tax reform, and I think we'll see that as a package. It, it's going to have to have some tax reform is going to have have to have some progressive elements. It's going to have to hold the wealthier segment of the population accountable on some level, but it's also got to fundamentally unlock economic growth opportunity. So I think we'll see some balance there, and and, and again, that paired with um, infrastructure, an infrastructure finance package, an infrastructure bank. I think that's a deal. That's the kind of thing that can get done where everybody can claim victory and and I think we'll see that. I don't know that we'll see much more. Um, I don't, I, and I don't agree with what Mark said about, but I, I don't agree with your point, Mark, about the tenor of the campaign and what that reflects on this. I mean, this is Trump v. Clinton. The, the Republicans in Congress are running against Trump just as much as the as, as Hillary Clinton is. It's why Merrick Garland hasn't been an issue in this campaign. They don't have to mention him because Hillary Clinton isn't running against Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan. She's running right. against Donald Trump. And, and so I don't think it's so much the tenor of the campaign. I think it's, it's the backdrop of what Washington has been like for the, well, for the last eight years. And that's a bigger danger because it's going to be even harder to govern than it yeah. has been in the past for the reasons you well, said earlier. Two, two points on that. What, what I meant when I said the tenor and tone of the campaign was that if all you did was listen to the campaign, you'd think Hillary Clinton couldn't cross the street without getting in trouble. I just, believe that she is going to be a far better president than candidate. But one thing you didn't mention, and I think we're about to disagree on, I feel very strongly and confident about this. And this is an example, I believe, of how Hillary Clinton is going to be a good president who gets things done. She is going to get immigration reform done in the first hundred days. She is going to get immigration reform done because she is hell-bent on making that happen, because the Senate is already there, has already passed it. It may not be the Senate bill. It'll get played with, of course. And because Paul Ryan has to do it. If he does only one thing to establish himself as a credible leader of the Republican Party for the future, he has to get immigration off the table. And I think in the first 100 days, you are going to see immigration reform with a path to citizenship, and it is going to be a a landmark achievement of the Clinton administration that in large part will get done because of her and and her skill at at this game. Well, we disagreed about this last week, and we're going to continue to disagree about it because, Mark, it's the most divisive issue in Washington in the country. And because 
Congress is going to be harder to govern. There's there's just no way it's going to get. There's no way that's going to be the first thing that that gets nope. done. I just don't see it. But time will tell. Well, well it's, I look forward to you and Schultz buying me dinner. Okay. <laughs> it, it, you know, it'll be interesting. To, it'll be interesting to see because there's there there's certainly you know history that we have to think about. You you saw a, a bumpy first um, first year and a half of of Bill Clinton's administration. You saw President Obama, you know, swing for uh, the fences on the Affordable Care Act and obviously getting that, that achievement done, but, um, but certainly having some, some lasting uh, political ramifications. So I, I think it's fascinating. I think, I think the discussion about, about how to prioritize and, and, and what issues will be at the forefront um, uh, you know, it, it is one that we'll, we will continue to have, and it's been illuminating, um, I think, today. Um, you know, guys, I think we are we are nearing the end of this race, but we are we are not we are not completely finished with our discussion of it. Um, you know, we're going to be back together a number of times, talking more and more about this, and certainly about the Senate, about policy priorities, and about. Uh, what what that first hundred days is really going to be like. So I hope for all of our listeners um, today, and those of you that 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 are listening um, to this via podcast, uh, that you continue uh, to to tune in um, and to listen to what we we have going on. And for all of our our listeners in Philadelphia, we're gonna we're gonna do this live um, on November third um, at uh, at Cozen O'Connor. So we're looking forward. To that as well, Mark Howard. Um, I, it is it is always a pleasure uh, to be with to be with both of you. I look forward to uh, a continued and spirited discussion, not just through election day, uh, but as we look at transition, as we look at the lame duck, and then as we begin the new administration. So uh, we'll we'll continue to have fun along the way. Thanks to both of you uh, for joining us, and thanks to everyone for listening to our call. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. That does conclude the conference call for today. We thank you for your participation and ask that you please disconnect your lines. Thank you, and have a good day.